look up here. I, I didn't tell him I was going to do this, but I really like this guitar. It's a really cool guitar. You don't want to hear me play it because I just played the same way I did when I was in high school. All right. What would happen? What would happen if you were walking along in a forest and there was nobody around? And I do mean nobody around. You are, you've been hiking for hours and hours. There's not a human to be seen. There's not a human domicile. There's, there's no cabins. There's nothing. Just trees and rocks and meadows and all the fun stuff you find in a forest. And you saw this leaning up against a tree. What would you assume? Somebody was there. Thank you very much. A real human was there. You mean you wouldn't assume that because this guitar is made of wood, that somehow it formed itself just like the trees grew up and formed themselves? All right. Then what would happen if you, I, I'm holding a mic so I can't play it. I know it's in tune because Dean was over here playing it. Weren't you over there playing it? I didn't watch. You're usually on that side of the stage. Yes. Um, I know it's in tune because he knows how to tune a guitar. But what would happen, I, I'm not a good guitar player, but I, I do know how to tune a guitar and I do know what it sounds like when it's out of tune. But what would happen if you picked it up and you strummed it and it was in tune? Now, what would you think? Hadn't been there very long, has it? Okay. So what we're talking about today as a rational intellectual, intelligent argument for the existence of God is what is known as the teleological argument. All right, say teleological. All right, it refers to something that is end-directed. It is the argument from design. Um, so one way that we can look at this is uh, regarding a, a really cool phenomenon it's coming up, as a matter of fact. Um, in 2017, there was a uh, complete solar eclipse that was visible over certain portions of the United States. And there is a solar eclipse that is returning, and it will be visible in Texas, specifically in Garland, on April 8th. On April 8th at 12.23 in the afternoon, there will be a total eclipse of the sun. Now, the last time we had this, I passed out eclipse glasses because Garland was outside of the path of the eclipse. So you would have to have eclipse glasses to see that the moon was partially covering the sun. That is going to happen, by the way, a partial covering of the sun. It's called an annular eclipse. That will be happening the day we're out here on the square. On October 14th, there will be an annular eclipse, and it will be really visible um, prominently down in San Antonio, right? So what happens there is the moon doesn't quite cover the sun. It just sort of covers it to where the sun looks like a, a crescent sun. You know, you know what a crescent moon looks like? This is like a crescent sun. So I bought some eclipse glasses. Uh, they actually came yesterday to my box, and I will have those available so that you can look at the annular eclipse on October 14th. But on April 8th of next year, there will be a complete eclipse. Um, so I have a, a little piece of video that I took um, 
when I, I drove to Missouri so that I could get the whole experience. And I think the, the moon covered the sun for about two minutes and 30 seconds. So um, if you can find that autumn, uh, it's the, the clip is called Totality, and you can play that. I don't remember what order I had that in. But this is, I photographed this with the camera that is filming right now. There's a really, really heavy filter on the camera right now, so it won't wreck the, the sensor. Now what I do is I take the filter off. I try to get it focused. And now that's the moon moving away. All right, so I had a chance to experience that. And I'm telling you what, man, it, it'll put chills up and down your spine. It's the most stinking, amazing thing. All right. Now, you know, we're used to the clouds going over and they cover the sun and whatever. It's dark in the middle of the day, man. The moon completely covers the sun except for those solar flares all around the outside. Okay. Um, here's a little piece of video about solar eclipses and how they fit into this design argument for the existence of God. Go ahead and play that other video, if you will. On October the 24th, 1995, a rare natural phenomenon unexpectedly triggered a unique search for an answer. Oh, look at this. It started with an experience I had in 1995. I went to observe a total eclipse of the sun in India. It was my first and still only total eclipse of the sun. It was a spectacular event. It's just an experience for all the emotions. Either astronomers who can understand the whole phenomenon can predict it to within a second of time anywhere on the earth or a local native are equally in awe and reacting in the same way to this incredible phenomenon. It really left a big impression on me. For 51 unforgettable seconds, Guillermo Gonzalez and thousands of others looked on in wonder at this rare astronomical event. Gonzalez would later reflect upon both the mysterious beauty he had witnessed in the North Indian skies and the factors that had made it possible. Fabulous. Fabulous. The requirements for producing a total eclipse of the sun are a luminous body, in our case the sun, an eclipsing body, in our case the moon, and then an observer platform, in our case the surface of the earth. And they all have to be in a straight line in space. The apparent size of the moon in the sky has to be almost exactly the same as the apparent size of the sun in the sky. They're both about half a degree. The sun is 400 times bigger than the moon, but it's 400 times further away. So there's this coincidence people have noted for centuries, but they just said, oh, well, it's a coincidence and shrug their shoulders. As Gonzalez examined this rare alignment of sun, moon, and earth, he recognized the importance of these celestial bodies to the existence of complex life on our planet. 
The gravitational pull exerted by our moon, for example, is strong enough to regulate the Earth's climate by stabilizing its tilt and helping to circulate the warm and cold waters of its oceans. While our planet's distance from the sun permits both liquid water and an oxygen-rich atmosphere. You have to have the right distance of the observer's own planet from its host star. And you have to have a large moon. And so there's this very strong overlap between the requirements for producing eclipses and the requirements for habitability, for having a planet that can support life. All right, so there are plenty of people in the world that think that everything just happens by chance, right? It's all just one big accident. But the thumbprints of God's design are all over everything. The eclipse is just one thing, and it's something that's going to be visible to you very, very soon, right? There's this perfect ratio where the moon is 400 times smaller than the sun, but it's also 400 times further away. So the sun is massive, and the moon can cover it so that you can view it. See, it's almost like there's an intelligence that put all this in play and not only set it up so that you could live, but so that you could be curious, so that you could search, so that you could think and work through these things. Now, there's a principle uh, among scientists called the, the, the so-called Copernican principle, a principle of mediocrity. And you have uh, Carl Sagan was a famous scientist back in the 70s and 80s. He passed away, but he had a, uh, a television show and everybody was uh, exposed to it. And he was famous for saying, the earth is not remarkable at all. There are probably millions, even billions of, of earths throughout this massive universe. And of course, now you have scientists that are speculating, and it is speculation, there's no evidence, speculating about a so-called multiverse. But the reality is, Guillermo Gonzalez was the fellow that was narrating that. Uh, he is an astrobiologist. That means he's an, an astronomer that is looking for life in the cosmos. And so he studied what would be necessary for life as we know it to exist elsewhere. So um, there's a slide there, Autumn, called Factors Necessary for a Habitable Planet Supporting Complex Life. These are 15. There are, I think there are actually 20. But, uh, you know, you, one of the things that they're always talking about is whether or not a certain planet or a moon that is going around a planet has water. You have to have water or you can't have life. So that's number one. It, there has to be carbon. It has to be within the galactic habitable zone. That means there, the overwhelming majority of our galaxy is inhospitable to life. Nothing could survive, right? The, the radiation, the, uh, you know, the, the black hole at the center of our galaxy and so forth. Um, it has to be in the circumstellar habitable zone. That means it's got to be in that sweet spot uh, in the solar system revolving around the sun. So just think about it. You know, uh, Elon Musk is famous right now for saying, you know, he wants to build a colony on Mars. But you really, really, even to put some people that had some sort of a colony on the moon, you have to do a whole lot because it's incredibly cold when the, you know, the on the dark side of the moon. Uh, there's no air, obviously. So we're in this incredible, you know, this beautiful blue ball that is capable of supporting not just life, but complex life. So you can look at those other factors. All of those have to be in place 
in order for life, complex life, intelligent life, uh, to exist. Well, what we're dealing with is an exquisitely fine-tuned universe. Just like I talked about the guitar being in tune. In order for the factors of life to exist and in order for intelligent life to come about, conditions in our universe must be favorable. So it's not only just those factors for, that are necessary for habitable life on the planet Earth. In order for a planet Earth to come about, there are these incredibly fine-tuned factors that have to be all in line. Um, William Lane Craig says, astronomers have been stunned by the discovery of how complex and delicate a balance of initial conditions must be present in the Big Bang itself if the universe is to permit the existence of intelligent life anywhere in the cosmos, all right? So um, we're, we're going to start dealing with probabilities, and I was going to go out to my truck and get a coin, and I forgot. Does somebody have a coin? Anybody? We, we don't carry money anymore, do we? We're all going, um, is, will a credit card do? I just need any coin at all. Bigger coin would be better. Your mom's got a coin. There we go. I got a, I got a quarter. I got a quarter. All right. I got a quarter. Now I need, now I need a kid to help me. Oh, what do you got? A dollar? dollar. Oh, give me the half dollar. Here you go, man. Yeah, you, you, you got worked out of a job right there, bro. <laughs> Woo. That's a beauty right there. Asher was your birthday yesterday. So come up here. All right. So have you ever flipped coins with your friends? Yeah, have you? Okay, so that's heads, obviously, okay? That's tails, doesn't look at tail, but it's heads or tails, okay? So I want you, I want you to, I'm gonna flip it so it'll be right here. I want you to call it, ready? Call it in the air. Heads. Said heads and it's tails, you failed. Try it again. Tails, and you got it, it's tails, okay? So. The probability of this landing heads and tails is what? Do you know anything about probability? 50-50, okay, or one in two, right? One in two. What do you think the probability of flipping this coin and it landing heads 50 times in a row, what do you think the probability of that would be? One in, what do you think? One in in 10 to the negative 15. That's one, one one thousandth of one one trillionth. That's a number we can't even put in our brain, isn't it? Yeah, go take that back to your mom because I think she was the one that donated that. She gave it to your dad, but I think she was the one that did it. All right, just so you'll understand how big of a number that is, there are probably 100 billion stars in our galaxy. Once again, this is one one thousandth of one one trillionth. So 100 billion stars is a lot, but it makes a habitable planet far more unlikely. And habitability does not mean life exists necessarily. Just because it's habitable doesn't mean that there is life there. All right? Um. I'm sorry. I actually the odds of flipping the quarter 50 times in a row is 10 one in one in a quadrillion or 10 to the 15th. The odds of life existing in the universe was uh one one thousandth of one one trillionth, okay? 
So basically the odds of flipping that quarter and it landing heads 50 times in a row is one in a quadrillion or 10 to the 15th, right? So start getting these idea, this idea of odds in your mind. What are the odds, right? Um, so let's look at uh, these, uh, these factors these fine-tuning factors in the universe. Here's a familiar example, gravity. You experience gravity every day. Gravity is holding you in that chair right now, okay? Uh, so when I was growing up, and some of you are my age uh, or thereabouts, I remember the first moonshot, right? I remember the, the, when the, you know, they landed on the moon. And they're wearing these really, really heavy, heavy uh, gear so that they can survive on the moon. And yet still, when they would move, it was almost like, you know, they were in a bounce house or something. And that is because the moon is much smaller than the earth, so it exerts less gravity or there's less of an attraction between your body and the moon. You weigh one-sixth of what you weigh, right? So that would mean if you are a 180-pound man, okay, you would weigh what? How much? 30 pounds? So I'm about 180 pounds. I'd weigh 30 pounds on the moon. Can you imagine if you weighed 30 pounds? You could really leap, right, if you have your own strength. But here's the thing. Gravity doesn't change on the moon. It just exerts less of an attractive force because the moon is so much smaller. The reality is the gravitational force is, is so precisely balanced that if it were off and it were just a little bit stronger, then the entire universe would have collapsed a long time ago because gravity would have pulled it all back together. If gravity were even just slightly, and I do mean slightly, just a fraction of a fraction of a fraction weaker, then there would... Stars would not have uh, come into existence. Planets would not have come into existence. There wouldn't have been enough clumping. To get an idea of the, um, the perfect balance of gravity, let's just think about um, this example that is uh, given by Lee Strobel in his book, Case for a Creator. Okay, He said, uh, imagine a ruler, just a standard ruler. Okay, We've all used rulers. And it's marked off in one-inch increments, okay? Now, take that ruler and stretch it across the known universe. I mean, we can't even see the, the furthest extent of the known universe, but they have an idea, okay? So, stretch that ruler all the way across the known universe. It is marked off in one-inch increments all the way across, if you were to move the perfect gravitational forces right there somewhere on that ruler, if you were to move it one inch to the right and it were that much stronger or one inch to the left and it were that much weaker, then life would be impossible. Um, there are a lot of different factors. So this is where there's several slides here, Autumn. The first one is fine-tuning parameters of the universe, okay? So... Here are four of them. Gravity was one, the gravitational force constant. That's the one, that's number three. That's the one that I just talked to you about. So here's four. But that's not all there are. Go to the next one. Well, there's 10, but that's not all there are. Go to the next one. That's 30. Oh, but that's not all there are. Go to the next one. 
That's 59, but that's still not all there are. Go to the next one. There are, as of the time I uh, looked at these notes, uh, and this was, there's a fellow named Hugh Ross who's written, he's an astronomer, he's written a lot of books uh, about how the universe points to the existence of God. But at that point in time, his website is called reasons.org, right? And you can go to his website and just get all this incredible information. But at that point in time, this is how many factors that they had identified. 92, 93 fine-tuning parameters. And the tolerances on some of these uh, is so infinitesimally narrow that even one of them constitutes good evidence for the existence of a designer. So here's one. Have you ever wondered why the universe is so big? Have you ever felt just small? You go out into the, you know, uh, camping where there's no lights around and you look up at the sky and there's so many stars or you see these pictures come back of the uh, of the galaxies that are visible there there are billions not of stars yes there there are probably 200 billion trillion stars in the universe but there are a hundred billion or more galaxies in the universe that can make you feel like you're insignificant like you know you're small like you don't really matter well the total mass of the universe, the, the, the total amount of stuff in the universe is absolutely essential for life to exist. The required fine tuning is so extreme, one in 10 to the 60th, that's one part in a quadrillion, 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 quadrillion. Wow. So at the writing of this, the universe was a mere 10 to the 18th seconds old. I think it's about 10 to the 22nd seconds old or 10 to the 20th now. But if you were to add or remove a single dime's worth of mass in that initial uh, singularity that expanded into the universe, life would be impossible. How about, why is there so much empty, empty space? Given that the amount of matter in the universe cannot be more or less, um, then we turn to another critical factor called the rate of cosmic expansion, right? The cosmic expansion rate cannot differ by one part in 10 to the 60th. And you'll recognize that as the same immense number that we encounter when discussing the universe's mass. If the rate had been slower, that is the universe was expanding too slowly, then there would have been less space between bodies, a lot less space. In fact, the universe would have collapsed back on itself before stars formed. So, in essence, the bottom line is the universe is at least 10 billion orders of magnitude, too small or too young to permit life to be assembled by natural processes. That is according to Hugh Ross in, uh, on his website, reasons.org. Um, these are numbers that are so incomprehensible that they just kind of glance off of you. But if we're going to posit that probability is what is at the root of our existence, I think it is far more intelligent to uh, at least hypothesize that there is a God. Here's a physicist, George Greenstein, who has uh, um, evaluated these things. He said, as we survey all the evidence, the thought insistently arises that some supernatural agency, or rather agency, capital A, must be involved. Is it possible that suddenly, without intending to, we have stumbled upon scientific proof for the existence of a supreme being? Was it God who stepped in and so providentially, rather than coincidentally, right? You know what providence is, right? A coincidence, we say, oh, it's just a coinkydink. 
This is the way it is. Well, the moon covers the sun perfectly, but that's just a coincidence. What a coinky dink. There are no coincidences. There's providence, right? Was it God who stepped in and so providentially crafted the cosmos for our benefit? So, the so-called Copernican principle teaches that the earth is an unremarkable planet in a vast universe. However, a new calculation of exoplanets might turn the Copernican principle on its head. Uh, a fellow named Eric Zacherson from Uppsala University and his colleagues created a cosmic compendium of all the terrestrial exoplanets likely to exist throughout the observable universe based on the rocky worlds that astronomers uh, are, are accustomed to associating with that. Zacherson's work suggests an alternative to the commonly held assumption that planets similar to Earth must exist based on the sheer number of planets out there. There are vanishingly small probability that a, a planet like Earth, much less a planet that... Uh, is capable of uh, maintaining complex life exists, right? So let's jump to this enhanced anthropic principle. Um, this is a quote by Agros and Stancian in their book, The New Story of Science. And this was quoted in Case for a Creator. Again, I can really recommend that book by Lee Strobel. It's very accessible. They say this, though man is not the physical center of the universe, he appears to be at the center of its purpose. So why does the universe exist? The heavens declare the glory of God, the firmament, its praise. But why did God create the universe? So you could exist. You know what's behind the universe? Chance? No, love. That's what's behind the universe. The universe is as vast as it is. It is as dense, massive as it is. So that this little blue ball that seems unremarkable to some physicists can be your home. You are a unique person on this unique planet. Listen to this quote by Matthew McClure, PhD professor of biology. What all this means is that the odds of your parents producing you as opposed to someone else, genetically speaking, are hundreds of trillions to one, so incalculable that it may make the fine-tuning of the universe seem trivial by comparison. Perhaps the best example you will see of a divinely inspired, fine-tuned physical object is to look at yourself in the mirror. For each and every one of us are indeed fearfully and wonderfully made. So I began with the guitar. I'll end with this. How many of you have one of these? You got one of these, right? You know, you can argue over which one is best, you know, I mean, like Apple or you know, do you like Google or, you know, whatever, okay? This happens to be an iPhone and the newer iPhones have glass all the way around them, okay? Every computer chip is comprised of silicon. Silicon and glass are essentially sophisticated sand, so now, you already saw my guitar argument. What would happen if you were walking across the Sahara Desert? Have you seen pictures of the Sahara Desert? Just sand and sand and sand and sand. Sand is silicon. Okay? You melt sand down and it becomes glass and you shape it and it can become the, the, the silicon basis of this. This is glass on the outside, silicon on the inside. What would happen if I'm walking across the Sahara Desert? Right? 
Sadly, I've lost my camel, and it's just me and the Sahara. And there's just sand is blowing everywhere. It's blowing in my ears and my nose. And, you know, and I'm just I'm going along and I, you know, trying to find an oasis. And suddenly I see this glimmer, right? This reflection on the ground. And I look down and here's this laying on the ground. And I pick it up and I look at it. And I say, wow, that's amazing. Over billions of years of this sand blowing around and bashing together, it formed this object right here. That's amazing. But the reality is, you, just your brain, is far more complex than this iPhone. And this room, if we multiply the brains in this room, you say, well, my brain's not. I've only got two brain cells. You don't know what I did to my brain cells when I was younger. Even still. And then if we multiply these brains and the 8 billion brains all over the earth, it's far, far more complex than any object we've ever created. Are we so foolish as to presume that this came about as the result of sheer chance? Right? Uh, there is a, a, a Christian apologist by the name of Frank Turek, and I've mentioned him before, but he's written a book, and the title says it all. He says, I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. All right? I don't. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. Maybe I don't understand God like I think I understand God. Maybe we don't have all the answers like we think we do, but I guarantee you, probably, probably there is a God. He exists. Now, I can tell you I've had my own personal experiences with God and all of those sorts of things, and that may or may not be uh, convincing to you, but the reality is there's good reason for us to put faith in the existence of a God. Here's a few more uh, quotes for you. Sir Fred Hoyle, this is the man who first coined the term Big Bang, said this, a super intellect has monkeyed with the physics as well as with the chemistry and biology. Paul Davies, ASU professor of theoretical and theoretical physicist, astrobiologist, and cosmologist says, the laws of physics seem themselves to be the product of exceedingly ingenious design. The impression of design is overwhelming. So how can you deny it? God exists. He's all powerful. His intellect is, is beyond our comprehension. He is beyond space and time, and this is both necessary and it is provable. So follow the evidence. Um, from the 50s all the way through the late uh, portion of the, of the 1900s, of the 20th century, there was a famous philosopher by the name of Anthony Flew. He was uh, a philosopher of science, he was well-respected, and he was an atheist. In fact, he once debated C.S. Lewis, right? C.S. Lewis, the, the famous Christian apologist. And uh, at the end of his life, he was in his 80s. He said, I follow the evidence. I have followed the evidence my entire life. And at the end of his life, he wrote a book called There Is a God. This would be like Richard Dawkins writing a book today saying there is a God, right? Listen to what Anthony Flew 
said, I now believe that the universe was brought into existence by an infinite intelligence. I believe that this universe, this universe's intricate laws manifest what scientists have called the mind of God. I believe that life and reproduction in originate in a divine source. Some claim to have made contact with this mind. Now, he wasn't a Christian. He just came to the conclusion as the result of the evidence that there really is a God. There has to be, right? He said, some claim to have made contact with this mind. I have not yet, but who knows what could happen next, right? So that brings us to the point of the universe, which is God is love. God is what? And he loves you so much that he created the universe, the earth, and you uniquely from your parents. It's no accident the universe is the way it is. It's here for our benefit. Love acts in the best interest of the beloved. That's what C.S. Lewis said. God is love. And just one look at our vast universe reveals that God is an extravagant lover. Now, what I hope we do with these brief talks is we just clear away all of the obstacles on the road to faith. You still need to have faith. Faith is still necessary. I haven't removed the need for faith. I've simply shown you that there's a clear path for you to have faith should you choose to believe the Bible's message, which is that God is love.